Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys survived the ice that was out there. I was just talking about the church parking lot. Okay. All right. Let me pray to get us started this morning. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We know that there are many things in our world that distract us, that keep our minds racing, things we worry about every day, things that we're, we're distracting us from what's most important. And Lord, this morning I just pray that as we look at what it says in 1 Timothy about leadership, about what we're called to be if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, if we're pursuing him, God, help us to, to be in that pursuit. Help the Holy Spirit to guide us, give us steps. Help the words that I say today, the words that are coming directly from your word, what's, what's in your word in this passage that would pierce our hearts and our minds and change us and transform us to be more like Jesus Christ. Help us all to see that we're all leaders. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight, and I'd like to welcome you here this morning because you braved the church parking lot. I was joking about that, but I found that walking across the church parking lot was about as dangerous as American Ninja Warrior this morning, so it was, it was a little crazy. So today we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. We just started a series last week called Letters to Leaders, and before you write the whole sermon off, you are a leader. Everyone is a leader in some way. Last week I used an illustration of if I were to come, if you guys were to come to church and I didn't show up here and the elders are looking for me and I just said, well, I'm watching football at home, I'm leading in some way, right? Which we're lucky, we're in the East Coast time zone, so we never have to do that, right? So good, good. So if we follow Jesus, we're all called to be leaders. And then the leadership looks different than maybe the world shows us. Leadership in the world and success in the world means what, money or, or position or power. And, and Jesus is focused on service, humility, sacrifice, honor, integrity, your character. It's focused on others first rather than me first. And I think we get lost when we, when we think about leadership. We just think about who's up front or who's, who's on stage or who's whatever it is. It's always the person that's in the front when sometimes the best leaders are completely behind the scenes. So if you have our app, there's a link at the top of the feed about the notes for today that you'll be able to look at um, as I'm preaching, if you want to look at that. And then today, I'm going to show you guys a video. We're going to talk about being pure, good, and sincere. Pure, good, and sincere. But we sometimes get distracted. Has anyone ever gotten distracted? Okay, let's be honest. I already got distracted since I started preaching. Okay, let's, so we get distracted. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that our attention span is about eight seconds, and a goldfish is nine seconds. We get distracted easily. We can't, we can't do it. But sometimes we don't think of it in the way we should, and it leads to disaster. So I want to show you this video about people getting distracted. This last one's my favorite right here. You've got to watch this one. This, this is my favorite. Because this expression at the end. Oh, oh. Now, you guys wonder why I took out the sound out of that video? Because there was lots of cursing, okay? So I'm not showing that in church. <laughs> so, but I'll tell you this. You didn't know you were coming to driver's ed today. 
But when we're distracted, we take other people's lives in our hands. And then it's not always as simple as driving a motor vehicle. There's other ways that we take our lives, or other people's lives in our hands. When we're distracted by false teaching, which Paul's going to talk about, we take other people's lives in our hands. We don't take it seriously enough. And we don't realize sometimes when we're doing that. I know a motor vehicle is an easy example, but there's so many other ways that we take other people's lives in our hands. You know, one of the things that drives me nuts with having kids that are in car seats is when they unbuckle themselves and you're driving. I've had to pull over a couple times where they just unbuckle themselves. I'm like, look, I can't drive. And then I try to scare them with like, the cop's going to arrest you with a ticket. They're not scared of that. I don't understand. I, that's scary. When I was that age, I'd be scared of it. So Paul here has a clear warning in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Clear warning for everyone that follows Jesus. Everyone that's following Jesus, these are warnings. And it's just don't get distracted. So let's start in verse 3. Let's read in verse 3. And I'm going to read through verse 7 here. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of the charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things that they make confident assertions. I, when I read this, I, I, I have to make note of a few things. One, Paul's writing this to Timothy. It's like a mentor. So it would be like a mentor writing you a letter. So Paul's writing this letter to mentor him, and he's also saying, hey, remember of what I already told you. He needed a reminder. We just talked about reminders at the beginning there. We, we need a reminder sometimes. We need a reminder. If my wife didn't write notes about what I needed to do in the morning sometimes, I would never get it done. Like, hey, make sure this goes with them to school. I would never know because we need reminders. We all do. And so he gives Timothy the responsibility of keep teaching what Paul told him already. So he goes so far, Paul goes so far to say, don't let them teach anything other than that. That is the only thing. And so there's this word doctrine there. And I don't use the word doctrine often in conversation. I don't just, you know, hang out with my friends. What's up? What about that doctrine? You know, like, I, I don't say that. So I'm going to tell you what doctrine means. Doctrine is very simply a set of beliefs that the church holds. So this is, this is the core of what Paul has taught him. This is everything. And so what we can learn from this is that God desires for us to hold on to his word. Paul was saying this is his word. This is what it is. These other teachers were teaching things that were not the good news. They were, they were teaching myths, which literally means a widely held false belief. Look it up. It's crazy. I didn't even realize that's what a myth was until I did my research. I'm like, it's a widely held false belief. I've got lots of widely held f false beliefs about football today. I'm gonna, I won't share those. There are genealogies in the Bible that serve a teaching purpose, but here he's talking about getting in the weeds and missing the mission and the message of the gospel. You ever get in a conversation and you realize about halfway through that it's going nowhere? That's what Paul's talking about here. When I was in seminary, we would talk about things that none of you really care about. It's just like, oh, what about this? This one verse says, da, 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 da. I mean, you just... It's like, it didn't matter as much. It didn't matter. And so these teachings lead to promoting speculations, and they are greater, and, and promoting that they are greater than having faith 
that's from God. So promoting speculations is not as good as having faith from God. Simple as that. Promoting speculations is like, like this. I think that we will have, just like the movie Back to the Future, we will have cars that hover. Okay, I'm just speculating that's going to happen in the next two years. That's a speculation. There's no, there's no way to prove that, right? Does any of you think the same? No? Okay. You can't do that, but when you steward faith from God, it's this is what it is. This is what it is exactly. Paul said, I said this. You can choose to believe it or not. That's when you have faith. Faith is the healthy teaching that Paul had given Timothy for teaching the church. And these false teachers were devoted to myths and speculation. So I was left with a question here right at the beginning. What are we devoted to? What is most important in my life? What am I devoted to? Am I devoted to widely held false beliefs? Or am I devoted to faith in God, the truth that I know is God's word? And so what should we be devoted to? What, what are we devoted to? If you're here this morning, you're at least devoted enough to spend some of your time listening to the word of God, praising God, and praying. That is something that is huge. That is a devotion. And so the key verse of this, this chapter is verse 5. And this is the, such an important verse. You will not find a more important verse in this, in, in probably in, maybe in all the pastoral epistles. Because this verse says, God, it says that God desires us to love others with both our hearts and our mind. Our aim, our goal is love. It's not to debate somebody. Have you ever noticed if you debate and you go to a certain level, you lost? You can't debate with your spouse. Really goes nowhere. You can't debate with your kids. Goes nowhere. You can't debate with your friends because eventually you lose them because you get, they get angry. Our aim, our goal is love. And this comes from three things. There's three things here. A pure heart. A pure heart. What goes in the heart comes out. And so let me, and let me think about this from a, a, a perspective of most uh, of everyone that's here. At some point, We've, we've encountered verbal abuse. At some point, we've encountered neglect. At some point, we've encountered hurtful words or, or some type of abuse. But healing can happen through Jesus Christ. A pure heart is an uncorrupted heart. And I've seen people that have gone through dramatic trials, and you would have never known it unless they told you. Because they don't treat other people in the way that their trials would, would, you would assume they would respond. There's no other way to heal at a heart level than through Jesus Christ. You and I can change behavior, but our hearts can't change. And so to ask for a pure heart is a prayer that we need to ask from God rather than thinking and assuming we can get there. Because if anything I've learned in my short life, a pure heart is not something that comes naturally. It just doesn't come naturally. And then you have a good conscience. And so I just talked, a pure heart, so that's like, like most people are like, oh, okay, pure heart, I got it. A good conscience, this means you have logic, you're using your mind as well as your heart. You know, I, I, most of my life, I'm a very passionate person, so I, I probably lend myself more to the heart side, but then when I read this, it says a good conscience. Our minds need to be involved in how we love others. That's, that's hard. Logic, wisdom, doing good. We can't love others like Jesus loves us unless we use our heart and our mind it's both it's not one or the other and then the sincere faith right at the end it says a sincere faith 
Sincere people act on what they believe. Sincere people do. It's just it's what it is. They don't hold back. They don't believe and then, and, and then give up. They, they don't give up. They walk through pain with hope in mind, knowing what's next because their faith is sincere. There are more people in the United States that claim that they follow Jesus but live in unsincere faith than any other country I can think of because it's the, it, it was a generally held belief and culture. And so sincerity means your steps, where you're going, match up with what's coming out of your mouth. Your thoughts match up with what you're saying. It's all in unison. It's all together. It's your mind. It's your heart. It's everything that you are. This love is not conformity or rule following. It's teaching the people, the other people, it's teaching people the way in love. It is the way. God wants your heart, your mind, and your faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I think this is the hardest part of this, it's not just part of you, it's all of you. And, and guys, I'll speak to you for a second. I, I, I've heard for years that, that men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. You guys ever heard that? Ever heard that terminology? So like that's how we think. Everything's interconnected and then men compartmentalize things. So I'm gonna speak to men for a second. When we compartmentalize things and we hold things back from Jesus Christ, it leads to disaster. When we're one way around our family and another way at work, it leads to disaster. If we're, if we're acting a certain way around certain people, it's a disaster. It's not leading in the right direction. He wants all of you. We cannot love others like Jesus loves us unless we give all of who we are, not just sections and parts. And again, it's a process. It takes time. But if you're not working against that compartmentalization, it's hard. So instead of these things, there are some things that Paul, some, some people who Paul warns us about. So God desires our lives to be lived with purpose. There's purpose behind what we do. And so if we're warned that some swerve in, in, from this complete love, they swerve in another direction. They're not paying attention. They're looking at their phones. They're doing whatever. Have you ever seen what's the most annoying thing ever? Is watching someone text and walk, okay? Texting and walking... That's like driving drunk. Like, you're just texting and walking. They're not paying attention. They're distracted. They're going to walk off the cliff. You guys, if I text and walk on stage, I might fall off, and I know some of you are going to gasp. But that's like, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. Recently, I saw someone actually walking across a crosswalk, texting and walking. And it was a very fast road. So I was like, well, I guess I, they better hope I'm not texting, you know, because I wouldn't even see him. But we get distracted and we swerve from this complete love. We get distracted. This love that we're ha to have pierces our hearts and our minds. It's inside of us. It's not, it's not something external that you just come to church to see. It's something that God changes us from the inside. They, these people have swerved from this love and they've wandered. It says they've wandered. It's an interesting choice of words. When we wander, it's not very intentional. It's just we wander just wandered, you know? And they wander, where do they wander to? Worthless discussions, discussions that don't lead to truth. I have seen over and over when people are in arguments, the discussion doesn't lead to truth until everyone's calm and willing to talk about whatever it is. 
It doesn't help in the moment. And so you, you, you have this worthless discussion. It doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't lead to truth. And so I am, I'm confident. I am confident. And, and this is me. I am totally confident that God does not want us to waste our time on this earth on worthless discussions. But wandering is subtle. Wandering is subtle. And it's not always intentional. So we need to have a plan to not have worthless discussions. These worthless discussions lead to this false understanding that we have understanding, that we, that we get it. And then confidence in our knowledge, insisting on things that don't matter. This is pretty sad. If you read it and you think, man, people that insist on things that don't really matter or tell you things that you're like, I don't, I don't know why that even needs to enter the discussion. But when you enter these types of discussions, it leads to you desiring to tell others something. What do, you, what do you think that is, right and wrong? You know, we, we, we come to church, and since the church has been around for about 2,000 years, what you see in some churches is layers and layers of things that have been added to what's actually in the Bible. And so you go to a church, and then you start teaching others what's right and wrong, and they can't even claim a verse. There's no verse. There's no Bible verse that says, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. This is not a moral argument. It's just... This is what we do. And so we need to realize something here, though. This right and wrong. We need to be married to the mission of the church rather than the methods we use. So every church is going to have a method. We have a sermon on Sunday mornings. We have worship music. We have a certain type of worship music. You're sitting in an auditorium rather than a school gym. There's so many different things that you can think about, so many different methods and ways. But we need to be married to the mission rather than married to the methods because the people here were distracted. The false teachers were adding to what God's word already said. And they were adding to that, that, that uh, uh, doctrine that Paul had. And so the only thing really that we need to be emphatic about or dogmatic about or, or, or specific about is Jesus, not the little things, not the preferences. We, we get lost in preferences and what the people were coming in and saying, well, you need to do these seven other things. And Paul's like, no, this is what the word of God says. So we need to focus on the major things, not on the minor things. When we focus on the minor things, bad stuff happens. When we get distracted, bad stuff happens. We need to live lives realizing our purpose on this planet, seeing God move through us as we pursue Jesus. If we're not pursuing Jesus, and you're here this morning and you're like, this pastor keeps talking about Jesus, you're going to get distracted pretty quick. You're going to be distracted. And so Paul gives us a testimony of the depth of the love of God later in this chapter. Jump with me to verse 12. You've got to read this in verse 12. Verse 12, whew, through 14, verse 12 through 14 is what we're going to read. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of God overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's pretty thankful here. He is thankful for the strength he received because he was judged faithful. Who is the judge? Hebrews talks about this. Romans talks about it. Jesus is the judge. He judged him faithful and he was appointed to serve. What follows right after that is the rap sheet 
the list of his things that he had done. He's a blasphemer. He's a persecutor. He's an insolent, a violent opponent, and he's ignorant. Our worst enemies, we wouldn't even describe that way. I, I don't know anybody I could describe like that. Like, and God chose him to lead the church even though he was all those things. But God gave him mercy and grace that led to love coming from Jesus. Paul had what was in verse 5. He had a love that was pure. He had a conscience that was good. And he had a sincere faith. It, no one could doubt his sincerity because he was killing Christians before he was preaching about Jesus. No one could doubt it. My, my question for you today, and this is a question I have to ask myself all the time. Is your faith sincere? Are you really truly pursuing Jesus with all that you are? And you know what? If the answer is no today, I'm going to say something. That's a start, but you need to sincerely follow him. At least you know. Paul didn't even know. He was ignorant. You notice? You're, you're actually better than Paul right there. If, if you don't know, that's the biggest problem. So God's grace is greater than our rebellion. Every single one of us rebel. You know the reason that video only had teenage drivers? Because that's what they show people in driver's ed. Okay, so there's adults that do the same thing. So teenagers, I'm not mad at you. It's just in general, drivers get distracted. Did you know that actually distraction is the number one cause of car accidents? doesn't matter what is causing the distraction, but distraction is. Distraction is actually the number one cause of workplace accidents. Uh, it's the number one cause of home accident. Do I need to go down the list? Every accident. It's distraction. And we get distracted. But God's grace is greater than our rebellion. Paul killed people that were following Jesus. Paul killed people. God's grace overflowed in his life. You know, when I think of overflowing, I just think of my kids spilling juice all over my, my table. Okay? But overflowing was a positive thing. There was so much grace, he had enough grace to go around to the other people. Because it overflowed in his life. If anyone deserved judgment, it was Paul. If you came in today and you feel like you deserve judgment, guess what? Paul's way further along the line on that than you. Even when we're violently against God, he gives us mercy when our heart changes. Even when we're shouting at him and angry in love, we give mercy to others because he loved us and gave us mercy. God's there to receive us in our rebellion and disbelief. Like when we rebel and we go home... There's, there's times I've heard so many stories about people that rebel and they go back to their parents and their parents are just like, no, I can't deal with this anymore. That's not how God works. God is there to receive us in our rebellion and disbelief. When we're led astray, pardon the term, but by fake news, we need the good news of Jesus. We get distracted by things so easily. We get distracted I'm going to say something that no pastor should ever say, and I'm going to say it that way. Close your Bible. If you've got your Bible open, close your Bible. If you've got your Bible app open, close your Bible app, which you can't really close, so just, you know. I'm going to read this next section, and this is an exercise that I think will help us understand the depths of the love of God for you this morning. I'm going to read this next section, 15 through 17, 
And I want you to look at the screen. There's been one word taken out in the whole passage. And if you know the passage, don't shout out the one word, okay? That's like, that's like cheating on a test, okay? So don't do it. But I want you to fill in the blank without looking at your Bible. So if you have notes or a phone or whatever, I'm going to read verse 15 through 17. And there's one, ver- one word missing. And we're going to talk about that one word a little bit. So verse 15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect, blank, as an example, to those who who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Anyone got an idea? Don't, if you looked at your Bible, that's cheating. So don't cheat on this test. So I've read this passage many times. And the only reason I'm doing this with you is every time I read it as I was preparing, I like inserted a word there. And I thought, how many times do we do that in the passage? Because there's a word we think should be there. Have you written down the word you think it is? You got it in your head? Now open the, your Bible and see if you're right. Okay, open your Bible app. It's not up there. It won't be up there. So knowing verse 16 helps change your mind about what? God's, what's the word? Patience. We don't think of God as a patient God. In fact, the world wants to present this angry God. And, and, and God is so patient despite our sometimes habitual lack of faith. We just, we, it's a habit. And Paul, Paul understands this. Paul understands this because he finishes his testimony of the mercy and grace and love that God has given him by sharing a statement of faith. He says, fully accept this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of, deserving of full acceptance. Big words. Full acceptance. There's nothing here that you shouldn't accept as truth. There's nothing. Everything here is truth. Jesus came to save sinners of which I am the worst. Paul is saying he's the worst. Don't you really want to follow the worst? He's the one that's got the most grace given to him. But God gave me mercy so I can see the patience of God. God's patience today, no matter where you're at, is greater than what you are going through. God's patience is greater than anything a family member's going through, anyone around you is going through, because God's patience was enough for Paul, and it's enough for us. God's patience was perfect. Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't say, and, and this is really important sometimes we forget this, but Jesus didn't come to save good people. Give me that verse. Stump the, stump the pastor. Jesus didn't come to save good people. If you're going to say to yourself, I'm a good person, you're going to struggle because God is looking for people that know they are sinners and need him. If you don't know you need something, then you won't seek it. And I love the way Paul ends this section. Would you, would you everyone, I, I don't ever do this. So if, you're, if you've been here 10 years, I don't ever do this. If you've been here and this is your first time, I don't ever do this. So uh, can we read together that last verse, just what's on the screen? 
the last verse, and I'll start at two so we can say it together. So, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology. Paul ends everything right here. God is, is greater than what's going on in your life right now. He can overcome anything that's going on in your life. His patience for you is great. When you make a mistake, instead of hardening up, pray that God softens your heart so you can go to the other people that you've wronged and ask forgiveness. Be people that are willing to have a pure heart. So when, when you're struggling with something, you just go to someone about it. I had, I had someone come to me, I don't know, about a month ago and apologize for something that I didn't even remember them doing to me. That's the person you want to be. Because, yeah, they wronged me, but I moved on. But the issue is that they came to me because God convicted their heart. They had a good conscience. Their mind was interacting with what their heart was saying about what God's word said to them, specifically. So important. So what? So what am I supposed to do, Pastor John? What, what matters in this passage? What is so important? Well, I can tell you one. Don't have widely held beliefs that are not true. <laughs> That's a simple one. The myths, it doesn't make any sense. But God desires for us to hold on to his word. Holding on is not letting go. I get the picture of someone hanging on a cliff with all that they have because that's all they've got left. And they're certainly going to perish if they let go. You know you're going to perish if you let go of the word of God. You need to hold on to the word of God. And then loving others with your heart and your mind. We're so easily led astray with our emotions and just, I just feel, I feel like I can care for this person. I feel like I can love them. God's saying, your mind, you have to make a choice to love others even if they wrong you. Even if they don't treat you well. Even if they hurt you. It's, it's a choice. It's not just a feeling. It's more than that. But God also desires our lives to be lived with purpose. There was people that had lives of no purpose. They were having worthless conversations their whole life that, that meant nothing. And yet, Paul says, don't do that. Have a sincere faith. Genuinely step in when someone needs to talk. Listen to the people that need to be listened to. Have a life filled with purpose. I can tell you something that scares me about that phrase. The average American adult spends 35 hours in front of a screen. I'd be a hypocrite if I, I said I don't do that sometimes. But I am telling you, that's not a life we lived with purpose. It's not. There's more. More than that. And then this last part. God's grace is greater than our rebellion. His perfect patience overcomes a multitude of sins. Until you're like Paul, realizing that you're the foremost sinner... I want to be in a church where people are just saying, I'm the worst sinner. I mean, not saying it all the time, but the idea is there. 
that Paul said, I am the worst of all sinners and God's grace has overflowed for me. So all I'm going to do is pursue Jesus. And there's nothing else that matters to me anymore because God's grace was greater than my rebellion. I went and murdered people following this, this God, this man. This, I murdered the people that followed the Son of God. And now all that I have is to pursue him. Because my rebellion, foolish, ignorant that it was, Paul's saying this, his grace is greater than that. So no matter where you're at today, no matter where God has taken you this last week, this last month, these last years, God's grace is greater than any of your rebellion, anything you're struggling with. He's the one we need to cling to. He's the one that will make the change. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray this morning, but I'm gonna have the ushers come up because we're gonna take communion as part of our service. But I, I want you to know as part of communion and part of our continued part of our worship service, if you need prayer or you need to talk to somebody, please come up front. Please talk to someone after service. Because I know from from looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1 that this chapter is incredibly beneficial and convicting has been in my life and I know it'll be in yours let me pray Heavenly Father we come before you and we ask that you would give us pure hearts good consciences and sincere faith We know from looking at your word that that is a huge ask, but God, you are greater than than anything in this world. And your power to do that is unrivaled, unmatched. God, you are great. Help us to be changed just like Paul. So no one can doubt the sincerity of our faith the purity of our heart or our good conscience. Give us wisdom that that comes well beyond our years and understanding so that we can call and, and encourage and develop other leaders. Help us to be a leader in the small things and in the major things. Lord, grant us time with you this week. We say all this in Jesus' name.